Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Before we jump into the sermon for today, I'm going to pause now and go to the Lord in prayer. So would you join me in prayer? Our Father, I do come to you now, and um, wow, what a song to sing right before jumping into your word. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. Father, would our eyes be fixed solely on you this morning? Father, may you take your word and may you sharpen us. And Father, I pray that when we leave today, that we have a greater understanding of what your word says, what it means, and then how we are to apply it to life. We love you, Father, but only because you first loved us. Thank you for what we get to do now and study in your word. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, last week we began an important journey uh, that's going to take us really all the way through 2019, and it's a journey to better understand God's Word and His story that we find in His Word. And, but then not only that, but how we fit into God's story. So from January to December, we're going to start in Genesis, we're going to go all the way through Revelation. And actually this morning we get to begin that journey in the book of Genesis. You probably assume so with me having you turn to Genesis chapter 1, didn't you? Last week, when we were together, we, um, we spent time talking about God's Word from Psalm 119. And you cannot have an understanding of God's story unless you go to God's Word to find God's story, okay? So really in 2019, we have this push to read God's Word. And, and I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last, last week, to, um, to jump into this. I don't think that because you're a week behind, you can't do this, but Folks, I challenged us last week to read through God's Word in 2019, and uh, maybe this week you were successful, maybe not. I want to real quickly give a, a very brief recap of what we talked about last week, though, right before we get started here. First of all, we talked about how God's Word is truth. It's our compass. It's our guiding force, right? We look to it. It helps us understand how we move through life. We looked at how God's Word is precious. We can value it. We can hold on to it as um, something that has great, great value. It's powerful, and we can rest in its supremacy, and, and it's powerful in three ways that we looked at. Number one, it's powerful for its revealing power, right? God's, the Bible also has exposing power, so the deep things of our heart, that the, the sin that is there, it exposes those things. But then also the Bible has transforming power. So not only does it reveal uh, uh, about God, it reveals about us, it exposes who we are, but also it helps us go from point A to point B, and we understand that we can go to God's Word to help us in that process. Um, it's also essential. We look to it for life. You want to know how to find eternal life? You look to God's Word to find it. But then lastly, God's Word is God's story. So you want to understand God, you want to understand the story of God, you go to His Word to find it. Now, as believers, we've got a decision to make. Are we going to have a casual relationship with God's Word where we just open it up whenever the pastor says on Sunday morning, open to Genesis chapter 1? Um, or are we going to have an immersive relationship with God's Word? I use the illustration of a swimming pool. You know, you jump into a swimming pool, and what happens with the water? It comes all around you. It, it, it completely over, overtakes you, right? And so it's the same idea as we think about having an immersive relationship with God's Word. We jump into it, and it overtakes us. That's having an immersive relationship with God's Word. And I challenge you to read the Bible all the way through this year. And I've heard from many of you that you're actually you're doing it, and you're enjoying it. 
Now, if you began this and you've struggled already with being able to follow through each day, I want to pause here for just a moment. I want to give you a couple thoughts that might help you, okay? Number one, um, get a buddy. Get a reading buddy. Find somebody to say, hey, let's ask each other each day if we are reading God's Word. Okay? And then you text that person, hey, did you read the Bible today? Or make sure that they text you, hey, did you read the Bible today? Number two, um, find a consistent time and place to read. Find a consistent time and place to read. When you begin reading God's Word and you go to the same place at the same time over and over again, it creates a habit. Okay? It's a habit of reading God's Word. It's a habit in your mind of, hey, I, gotta, I, I get to do that. All right? Number three, if you miss a day or a week, don't quit. Don't quit. Um, catch up or pick up where you should be. A lot of people, they think, oh, you know what? I've missed a couple of days. There's no way I can catch up with all that reading. Um, I'm just going to quit here. By the way, last week I talked about how um, on average it takes a person like 10.37 minutes to read God's Word. How many of you timed it this week? As you were reading through. I put my hand up because I actually timed it as I was reading this week. Yeah. Um, And it probably took you a little bit longer than 10.37 minutes because the Bible reading plan we have is just a little bit longer each day. But here's the cool thing about the one we put together is that there are catch-up days. So if you do fall behind, just keep going. You're going to catch back up with us eventually. All right. Then number four, perfection is not the goal. Perfection is not the goal. Consistency is consistency is. You're not going to understand every single thing that you read. I want to encourage you to think about it, pray about it, dwell on it. But what we're looking for is consistency in God's Word. And really the whole idea behind us challenging you to have an immersive relationship with God's Word is because we know that you're going to be changed by it. There's no way that you can read God's Word and not be changed by reading the Bible. Now as believers, we should be in the process of progressively becoming more and more like Christ. Right? And, and one of the ways that we do so is by reading God's Word. Consistently immersing ourselves in the Bible is key to a life of godliness. Pastor Rick makes this statement often. Right? You've heard this before. That the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to make the child of God, of God more like the Son of God. All right, let me say that again. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God to make the child of God more like the Son of God. Guys, Bible reading is important. Let's continue in this. Let's push forward in it. Today, we're, we're kicking off kind of our actual journey of going through the Bible. We're, we're starting with an important place. We're starting with creation. Kind of important there, isn't it? So Genesis chapter 1 is where you need to be in your Bible. We'll be there here in just a moment. Folks, in our culture, when we start talking about how the world came to be, we would inevitably run into a cesspool of philosophies and of science and emotions that tend to drive the conversation. Because people everywhere have an opinion about how the world came into existence, and they all believe that they are right. However, at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, honestly, there's only one option. And I believe wholeheartedly, otherwise I wouldn't be standing up here today, that the option that we're going to look at today is the right option. That there is a creator um, and we are created by intelligent design. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there's many people who believe that what is here today appeared out of nowhere and has since evolved into life as we know it today. In fact, in uh, 1978, there was an article that appeared in the New York Times And it was written by a man by the name of Robert Jastrow. Now, Dr. Robert Jastrow was a NASA scientist, and he was also an author. And here's what he had to say. 
At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peaks. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. I love that. They're they're looking and looking for what the right option is, and they go all the way to the top, and there's the theologian that's been there for all of centuries, right? Ever since we got God's word, and God told us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, Christians have for centuries insisted that the Bible is true when it says that God created the heavens and the earth in the very beginning. But because the heart of man is so desperately wicked and they do not want to believe in an absolute authority or an intelligent design, the origination of the world continues to be a hotly debated topic. Uh, Back in the year 2000, there was a columnist by the name of George Kaler who was interviewing a molecular biologist. And this molecular biologist didn't want to be named in the article. But here's part of the article that they had. And they're, they're talking in particular here about the complexity of human code. Okay, now the questions themselves are going to be on the screen for you. Here is the first question. Do you believe that the, that the information evolved? Talking about human code. Do you believe that it evolved? The answer, George, nobody I know in my profession believes it evolved. It was engineered by genius beyond genius. And such information could not have been written any other way. The paper and ink did not write the book. Knowing what we know, it is ridiculous to think otherwise. By the way, this man is a proclaimed, self-proclaimed agnostic, okay? He's not a believer. Here's the next question. Have you ever stated that in a public lecture or in any public writings? No. I just say it evolved. To be a molecular biologist requires one to hold on to two insanities at all times. One, it would be insane to believe in evolution when you can see the truth for yourself. Two, it would be insane to say that you don't believe evolution. All government work, research grants, papers, big college lectures, everything would stop. I'd be out of a job or relegated to the outer fringes where I couldn't earn a decent living. The response to that is, I hate to say it, but that sounds intellectually dishonest. He responds with, the work that I do in genetic research is honorable. We will find the cures to many of mankind's worst diseases. But in the meantime, we have to live with the the elephant in the living room. What elephant? Creation design. It's like an elephant living in the living room. It It moves around, takes up space, loudly trumpets, bumps into things, knocks things over, eats a ton of hay, and smells like an elephant. And yet we have to swear it isn't there. Well, this morning we're going to go to God's word and we are going to talk about the elephant in the living room that will never truly go away. Okay, so let's go to Genesis chapter one and I'm going to actually read the entire account of creation. Okay, so let's read starting Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. 
And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God sent them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and the beast of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the, earth, on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And that is the account of creation according to Genesis. Now, as we work through this sermon this morning, I've got two main parts to this, okay? Number one, what does creation reveal to us about God? What does creation reveal to us about God? But then number two, what is God's original plan for our lives? As mankind, what is God's original plan for our lives, okay? Starting with first, what does creation reveal to us about God? Number one, creation reveals to us the power of God. It reveals to us the power of God. Now, 10 times throughout that account in Genesis that I just read for us, we read the words, God said. 
Okay? Verse 3, God said, let there be light. Verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse. Verse 9, God said, let the waters be gathered. Verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights. Verse 20, God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. Verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. You get the idea. There's several more there. Uh, verse, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Verse 28, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Verse 29, God said, I have given you everything on earth. Okay? Now, that's, that's 10 times throughout this account of, of, of creation that God speaks, and in response to the voice and the word of God, things happen that, that no physical explanation whatsoever beyond the fact that, that, that God is powerful enough for his voice to carry out those, those things. It doesn't make sense except for God to do it, right? There's no way whatsoever that God would say, or that any, there's physical, any physical explanation for God to say, or anyone to say, hey, such and such appear, except that God does it, and his voice carries great weight. He's got great power. There's another 16 times all throughout Genesis chapter 1, the first three verses of chapter 2, that we see God move, we see God speak, we see God act in some way. Okay, sometimes it's God-created, Sometimes it's God blessed. Sometimes it's God made and other accounts. Folks, when we read the account of creation right here in Genesis, there is no way to do so but to come away with our, from our reading with a realization that God is powerful, that God is powerful, that there is none like him in that way. He created everything out of nothing. Everything out of nothing. Now you think about you trying to do that for a second. Yeah, God created everything out of nothing. When God spoke, waters are parted, plants appear, birds fly, fish swarm throughout the, throughout the waters, light illuminates darkness, the day is separated from the night just because God speaks. Right? Creation reveals to us the power of God, first of all. Next, creation reveals to us the nature of God. The nature of God. Now, the pattern that we see all throughout Genesis chapter 1 is this, okay? God creates something, and then he declares it to be good, G-O-O-D, okay? God creates something, and then he declares it to be good. That's right. Folks, I love this verse. Uh, when, we, when we look at this, we see that God creates the light. He declares it to be good. God separates the sea from the land. He declares it to be good. He, he creates the plants, the sun, the moon, the stars, declares that they are all good, right? God creates the fish and all the land animals, the birds, mankind. He proclaims that they are good when he's done. But then God looks on everything that he has made, and when it's all put together, then what is it? Very good. You see, in individual form, they were good. But put together the way God designed it, it's very good. See, folks, when we talk about the nature of God, we really see two things, okay? Number one, God pays attention to detail. God pays attention to detail. Now, to see this, we really don't have to go any further than the human body, okay? Here's a quote by, um, by Lee Strobel. He wrote a book entitled The Case for Faith. Here's what he says in this book. Each cell in your body contains the information for your entire body. DNA are like little microprocessors. DNA strand contains information equivalent to 1,500-page books. 
How many of you have read 1,500-page books? Probably not many of us. But each cell in our body contains that much information, each DNA strand. The odds of dropping 200 bones, which was about what has to happen to form a single protein, into a correct sequence is 10 to the 380th power, which is a big number when you consider that the total number of electrons in the universe is 10 to the 130th power. Or a blindfolded man finding one grain of sand in the Sahara Desert, not just once, but seven times in a row. In other words, impossible according to our standards. But that's what God does. That's what he organized. That's what he put together. God is a God of detail. We don't think in terms of the detail that God does. But then secondly, God is a God of order. God is a God of order. He doesn't just pay attention to detail. He brings that order to chaos. Now, we might look at creation and we think, that's yeah, a jumbled up mess, right? But just think about the meticulous way that God creates everything that he creates. Everything has got its rightful place. Everything has, is created in its rightful time, right? To, at the very end, pull everything together the way that God does to bring order to chaos, <coughs> Folks, we're spending this year and we're looking at the story of God according to his word and how then we fit into that story. One of the things that we're going to see is that God has a rhyme and a reason to everything that he does. He has a rhyme and reason to everything that he does. And it might not make sense to individuals in the moment, but somewhere down the road, God is going to bring everything back around the way that he planned to all along. Some of you have been there before where you don't understand what in the world God's doing in your circumstance in the moment, but you know a little bit later down the road you understood more. Maybe you're in a circumstance right now where you're thinking, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why you put this detail together and that detail together where, you know what, we may not understand, but it's okay because when God puts the full picture together, it is what? Very good. Next, creation reveals to us the glory of God. It reveals to us not only the power of God, the nature of God, but the glory of God. Now, there's, there's a book that I really enjoy reading periodically, and it's entitled Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And really, the gist of the book is that the love of, that God has for us is nothing short of crazy. And there's a portion of that book in which Chan talks about the greatness and the glory of God, and he uses God's creation to describe this. He points out that a caterpillar has 228 separate and distinct muscles in its head. 228 separate and distinct muscles in its head. Now, that's a whole lot for a bug, isn't it? An elm tree has approximately 6 million leaves on it. An elm tree, 6 million leaves. Your own heart generates enough pressure as it pumps blood through your body that it could squirt, squirt blood 30 feet. How many of you knew that? That's one of those, don't try this at home, okay? <laughs> don't do that. Spiders uh, produce three kinds of silk. When they build their webs, they create 60 feet of silk in one hour, simultaneously producing special oil on their feet that prevents them from sticking to their own web. Now, most of us hate spiders, but when you can spin out something four times your body length every single minute, that deserves some respect. Would you agree? In the Amazon jungle, there are 3,000 different species of trees within one square mile. 
3,000 species of trees within one square mile. Or how about this? Why did God create so many kinds of laughter? You got the loud laugh, right? You got the silent shoulder heaving laugh. You know, how many of you know somebody that's like that, right? You got the, the wheezing laugh, the obnoxious laugh. How many of you are snorters when you laugh? How, how many of you are looking at somebody else right now who is a snorter when they laugh? Folks, that's just God kind of showing off about, look how many types of laughter I can give. How incredible is our God? God? Creation reveals to us the glory of our God. And as I think about creation revealing the glory of God, I kind of go back to one of the favorite th- my favorite things to do. When, on a night when things are kind of crisp and cool, I go outside and what do I do? I look up in the skies. I look up and I realize that I am not all that big, but my God is incredible. Folks, creation reveals to us the glory of God. And when we look at creation, we see this magnificent picture that he has painted. And it could come in one form or another. Maybe, it's, maybe you've thought about this before, about how great our God is in creation. When you've seen a, a baby being born, right? New life. Or maybe it's mountains or the Grand Canyon or something like that. You look on it and you realize the glory and the splendor of our God. And you say, oh God, you're awesome. Creation reveals the glory of God. And folks, when you experience the splendor of God's creation, you experience a revelation of the glory of God. And listen, you can't help but as a believer to worship him. Creation reveals to us the power of God, the nature of God, and the glory of God. So now the question remains as we're working through this. So we've looked already at God's story in regards to creation, what we've looked at here. I believe we should end today by answering the question of this. What is God's original plan for your life? What is God's original plan for your life? Because the reality is that we are living with second best. Okay, we're living with second best. Even as, as believers right now, we are living with second best because um, it's not, the world right now is not the way that God created it to be as in the very beginning. That was nullified with sin. We're going to talk about that next week when we come together. But what do we know to be God's original plan for our lives? Okay, and here's three things I want to highlight. Number one, harmony with God. Harmony with God. Mankind was created to have an intimate and personal relationship with God. If You don't have to do this, but if you were to jump ahead to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll look at this next week, Adam and Eve have just sinned, okay? They've just sinned, and what do they hear the sound of walking through the garden? It's the sound of God walking in the cool of the day, right? Now, I tend to think that this is not a one-time thing for God to come down and walk in the cool of the day. Hey, I wonder if I'm going to catch these people having sinned. I don't think that's the case at all. In fact, I think he came to walk on a regular basis with the people, to have this intimate, personal relationship with them where he is living in harmony with them. Rather, they're living in harmony with him. Folks, these people, Adam and Eve, had harmony with God. Now, has God's intention for our relationship with him changed in any way? Has it changed? No. 
No, not at all. There's, there's still a desire that he has for us to have that harmony, that unity with him. The only difference is that now for that unity and that harmony to take place, it takes us recognizing that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place and we repent of our sin, we surrender our lives to Jesus, and that is how we enter into a relationship with God. And we can't walk and talk physically on this earth with God like we did before, but we have the presence of God living inside of us that walks and talks with us, don't he? Holy Spirit. Folks, God's original plan for your life was to have harmony with him. Secondly, God's original plan for your life is to reflect him in everything, to reflect God in everything. You got your Bibles open, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Folks, we read there that we were made in the image of God. The animals were not made in his image. The plants were not made in his image. Mankind is the only ones of all the creation that was made in the image of God. That means that we possess qualities that God himself has. Okay, if you're working through the, the, the brief devotions that we have put together that go along with this sermon series, you're going to get to, I think it's Thursday this next week, and you're going to see um, some of these qualities that we share with God. Being made in his image, some of these qualities we share with God. There's, there's love, there's goodness, there is justice, righteousness, wisdom. These are all qualities that God possesses that we in turn possess. Now, we are not perfect in these things the way that God is, because God is perfect in his love. We are not. But these are the communicable attributes that God shares with us. Now, because we are made in God's image, because we are made in God's image, what are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? You ever thought about that? I know I'm made in the image of God, but what does that mean for, for life on a practical basis? What does that mean? Folks, the answer is that we reflect God in everything. We reflect God in everything. We, we act the way that he created us to act. We think the way he created us to think. We worship him in the way that he created us to worship him. Now, how many of you have ever seen a picture like this one on the screen? Have y'all seen a picture like that before? So you got the mountain that's there, and then you got a lake or a water down there, and, and what's the water doing? It's reflecting the mountain, right? See, this is kind of the same picture that we think of here with reflecting the image of God. It gives us an idea of what it's supposed to look like for us to reflect God. We are not God. We are not the mountain, right? We are simply a reflection of the mountain that points to the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of the mountain. That means that it matters what we say. That means that it matters what we think. That means that it matters how we act and the language that comes out of our mouths. It matters what we choose to watch. It matters the way we choose to use our time. It matters because we are made in the image of God with the purpose of reflecting the purity and the majesty and the beauty of God. Lastly, God's original plan was for us to reproduce God's glory to the ends of the earth to reproduce his glory to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 28 with me here in Genesis chapter 1. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And what's that next word? 
fill the earth and subdue it. Folks, the image bearers of the Creator are to take that image of the Creator and spread it all over earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, here in several weeks, we're going to get to the story of the Tower of Babel, okay? I mean, if you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, it's, a, it's an interesting story to read. I think a lot of fun to read. We're going to talk in depth about it here in a few weeks. But when we talk about it, what we're going to find is that the great sin of the people was simple. They congregated into one place and they made themselves God. In fact, um, they, they, they refused to follow God's command here to fill the earth, right? And the Bible literally says that they migrated from the east, from other places, to the one place to live together. And before you think that it's sheer happenstance for them to do so, here's what Genesis chapter 11 verse 4 says, okay? It says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You see, they were, what they were doing flew in the face of what God said. He said, Go and fill the earth, Right? Subdue it, have dominion over it. Go fill the earth. And they said, no, we want to congregate in one place and make ourselves God. You see, as image bearers of God, we are to fill the earth, reproduce the glory of God. Take it with us when we go, where we go. Folks, God created the earth for it to be inhabited by people so that they will go as his image bearers, and reproduce that glory. So here's the overarching question that I want to ask you this morning, okay? We've seen the power, we've seen the nature, we've seen the glory of God in creation. We know that we're created to have harmony with God, to to reflect him in everything, and to reproduce his glory to the ends of the earth. And here's the question. Are you doing it? Pretty simple question, isn't it? Are you doing it? Are you living in harmony with God? Are you you reflecting his image? Are you reproducing his glory to the ends of the earth? And really this question can be boiled down to this. Are you living for the glory of the creation, you, much like the people there at the Tower of Babel, or are you living for the glory of the creator, God? And it can't be both. It cannot be both. In fact, if you think that it might be both in your life, then in reality... You are living for the glory of the creation, not the creator in any way, shape, or form. Now, folks, I get it. I know in this sin-cursed world, it is hard. I know that we, work, we walk through life, and sometimes at the end of the day, I look back and I think, why in the world did I do that? You know? Why did I say that, think that, act that way, whatever it is? And I have to go to the Lord, and I have to apologize. Sometimes other people and apologize. What is your heart's desire? Is your heart's desire to bring glory to you or bring glory to your creator? Maybe that's a good place for you to start. Folks, this has been a, a flyover version of creation story. But if there's anything that I want for you to take away from this today is that God is a great God and that we are a part of what he is doing. He invites us to be a part of that. So are you doing it? Are you involved in his story? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, as I come to you and I think about the fact that as your creation, I am meant to live in harmony with you, in a relationship with you. Father, I am meant to reflect you on this earth. Father, I am meant to take your glory and we as people, wherever we go, to shout of the glory of our God. Father, would you help us to know what it looks like to live day in and day out, to make a decision over and over and over again to promote the glory of the creator rather than the glory of the creation. Our Father, we thank you for including us in your story. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.